Amen, amen. All right, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Acts, chapter number one. If you will, the book of Acts, chapter number one. Great service, good to see you. And uh, go Jags, by the way, go Jags. I, uh, I debated whether I would say anything about it, but it was quite an experience. So uh, I was there. It was amazing. And uh, what, a, what a great game. Now, do not get nervous and do not misrepresent anything. Uh, I am a Chiefs fan, okay? I am a Chiefs fan, but, but I have decided to make a compromise. I don't compromise on much, but on this I will. If the Jags are not playing the Chiefs, I will cheer for the Jags, okay? So there, there you go. Great, great time, great game. We were reminded again last night at the game, as has been in every game since last Monday night, of how captivated our culture is right now with corporate prayer. For the game, both teams came together at midfield as they did in the Chiefs and Raiders game of all games just before and prayed. For the player from the Bills who had cardiac arrest on Monday night. Now, wasn't that a fascinating thing? It really was. Across the NFL, across social media, on ESPN Live, the world all of a sudden was arrested and captivated with a need to come together and pray. Every NFL team's social media picture said pray for DeMar. Every single team. Even Dan Orvlusky from ESPN, while the crisis was taking place on ESPN Live, literally stopped the broadcast, bowed his head, and prayed for that player's healing on national television. And we find that right now there is an captivation with the importance of prayer. And I am certain that the sports world is certain that corporate prayer matters. But I'm not sure that the church does. And I want you to take your Bibles there in Acts chapter number 1. I want you to see the first gathering of the church upon the ascension of Jesus Christ... This is what we would call the upper room. This is exactly where Christ told the disciples to go after his ascension in order to wait for the promised presence and power of the Holy Spirit to descend upon them for the mission that God had called them to accomplish. In this first chapter of the book of Acts, as Christ literally has just ascended in verse number 11, verse 12 tells us that they took him at his word. It says here, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, 
James, John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Watch this. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Amen. This is God's word. And I want to open this five-part series upon our core values to talk about corporate prayer. It's not a super fancy title for a message, but the bottom line is it's what we're going to talk about. I want to, over the next five weeks, share with you what I would consider to be healthy marks of the disciples of Jesus Christ at River City Baptist Church. What do we look like when we're healthy? What do you look like when you're a part of a healthy church? What are we supposed to be doing together, corporately, as well as individually? What makes us a genuine church of the Lord Jesus Christ? And I told many of you last summer upon the return from a seven-week sabbatical, I came back and I, somebody asked me the question, well, pastor, what did you really learn? Or where are we really going to go from here? And what, what's really next for River City Baptist Church? And honestly, after seven weeks of prayer and seven weeks of reflection and seven weeks of not really uh, uh, being here, not preaching and not even being around here, I came away with this one thing as the central focus point of the next real step in the life of River City Baptist Church, and that was this. It all boiled down to one word, prayer. And I thought to myself, you know what, if we did not have anything else going for us at church, if we did not have dynamic ministries, if we did not have a good worship experience, if we did not have good guest services, if we did not have a quality program for our kids, or whatever else, nice buildings and comfortable seats and audiovisuals and all these sorts of things, uh, uh, we could still have church, and we could still have God's blessing on our church. Because the fact of the matter is, we'll never be able to compete, we'll never be able to be good enough in any of those areas. There will always be things to improve upon. But I'm here to tell you that where two or three are gathered in my name, God is in the middle of that. And the most important thing about any church, of any gathering, of any Christian, is that God's presence is active and working among that body of believers. And as far as I can see in Scripture, the only real guaranteed way to be assured that God's presence is active and working among his people is when those same people are actively engaging in prayer. And this is exactly what you see in the first century church. You see a church that was powerful, a church that was effective, a church that reached its community, yea, a church that even, quote, turned its world upside down. And when you read these first chapters in particular about this first church at Jerusalem, there is one central feature of the church that stands out among all of the features. And that is this, they prayed together. And I want to share with you this morning three thoughts from this text about the importance of corporate worship in the body of Christ. Number one, I want you to see that prayer was the priority of the early church. Prayer was the priority of the early church. It says again in verse number 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Uh, skip over to chapter 2 in verse number 42. After Pentecost, after uh, this sermon that uh, Peter preached, the Bible says in verse number 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship 
and in the breaking of bread. Here it is. And in prayers. Skip over uh, one more chapter to chapter number 4. And look please, if you will, at verse number 31. In chapter 4 and verse 31 it says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Chapter 6 tells us in verse number 4. That the apostles gathered together deacons around them to serve the church. Why? Look at it. Because we will give ourselves continually to, the, to, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You, you go on and, and I can spend uh, uh, several minutes walking through this. You get to Acts 12. And they they pray in Mary's house for Peter to be delivered. You get to chapter 13 and they pray together to send out the first missionaries. It didn't matter if they were persecuted. It didn't matter if they were spreading for evangelism. It didn't matter if they were appointing leaders. It didn't matter if they were witnessing in the temple. Folks, all I'm saying is at every turn, at every decision, everything this church did, you see it literally saturated in prayer. Why? Because prayer was important to the church. Prayer was important to the church, therefore you see them praying. This is not necessarily rocket science to figure out if something is important to someone, they do it, right? If if you came into 2023 and your health was important to you, then you may have taken some steps to activate a plan to show that that was a priority. If, getting, if having more meaningful family time became a priority to you this year, or it should have, then you're going to take steps in your schedule to make sure that your wife, your husband, your children are appropriately attended to. It's a priority. So what do you do? You act upon it. And I can safely say that prayer was a priority to the first century church because what they did consistently, continually, and repetitively is they prayed as a church. And I want to say to you folks that that this is where we need to be and this is where we need to go. If it was a priority to them, then it should be a priority to us. Prayer. As I mentioned before, we're going to do about two or three things together as a church to emphasize the importance and the priority of prayer here. One began this morning. At 8.30 on Sunday morning in uh, the activity room over off the gym and in South Wing Room 102, every Sunday morning at 8.30, we will have a prayer meeting. One's for men and one's for women. Today, I think we had 10 or 12 men show up. I think there were about five women show up. And and I I realize it's the first of the year. And I realize that it's just something that we're getting started. But folks, I'm telling you that that if we want to pray together, then we're going to have to actually set Time, set them aside, activate a mission, and then accomplish that mission. And so I know this, not everybody can preach, not everybody can teach, not everybody can sing, not everybody can lead, not everybody can organize, not everybody can administrate. But can I tell you that there's one thing in this church that every single person in this room can do. You can pray, that's for sure. And so that's one point. Tomorrow morning at 7.30 we'll have our first of weekly Zoom calls. You will get a text this afternoon. 
with a link to that Zoom call at 7.30 on Monday mornings. We're going to have a prayer meeting, an electronic prayer meeting. And in that particular prayer meeting, we're going to focus on all of our great commission efforts. We're going to focus on our missionaries like Jerry, uh, like Hector with the Spanish church, like Aaron with the Mayport campus. And our church has been fortunate to send out seven pastors from our congregation to preach in places like Ohio, Indiana, and Florida, and Georgia. And on that particular prayer meeting, for 10 or 15 minutes, we're going to gather prayer requests from our pastors and our missionaries that have been sent out from here. And we're going to take that Monday morning, we're going to pray for those missionaries. You know, I'm concerned that we're not just sending out missionaries and pastors from our church, but that we are supporting missionaries and pastors from our church. And the best way we can support them is certainly to pray for them. On Friday mornings, we're going to have a same link to a Zoom call. And I'm going to set up appointments with anybody in the church. If you want to pray, if you've got something that you're praying about, I can tell you at least me, as the pastor of the church, I am going to be available to anybody and everybody in this church that wants to pray. If you want to come to the church, come and pray. If you want to call me and pray, call me and pray. But I'm telling you that we can and should and must pray together in our services. I know it can be awkward. Sometimes it can be weird to have a few moments where there's not really anything else going on. And can I just say this? Look, people, people may question, well, you're going to have a prayer meeting, prayer gatherings inside the church on Sunday morning while we're having a service? Yeah, that's exactly uh, what we're going to do. You say, well, aren't people going to feel uncomfortable with that? Folks, listen, I'm not having prayer meetings for you. I'm having prayer meetings for God, okay? And if it's odd and awkward, I can tell you one way to change being odd and awkward when we're having a prayer meeting. You ready? Pray. There's one absolute way to eliminate it being weird when the whole church is praying, and that's this. You can come and pray. You can pray with your spouse. You can pray with the person sitting next to you in the pew. You can come up to the altar and pray for somebody, anybody. Good night. Come and pray for me, as Jerry has often said. He needs the practice, and I need the prayer. I appreciate that. The bottom line is this. You can always pray for someone. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything you're praying about? Is there anything your family's praying about right now? Is there anything you're praying about with your kids? Is there anything you're praying about with your job? Is there anything you're praying about as far as somebody you're trying to reach with the gospel? Are there any decisions that you're praying about? Are there any financial concerns that you're praying about? Come on. Is there a a burden that you brought in here today? Well, I'm telling you, friend, one thing that you can do when you come to the house of God is share that burden with the body of Christ and pray together. You say, well, I'm just not ready to share it with somebody else. You don't have to share it with somebody else, but you can share it with God. And we're going to set aside time every single service from here out to corporately come together and pray. It's not. It's not the only thing, but I can tell you, if I can take one step toward a reflection that prayer is a priority in this church as it was in that church, then I am thinking it's a step in the right direction. So number one, prayer was the priority of the church. Let's go back to chapter one and look at our text. The second thing I want you to see is this, prayer gave unity to the church. Prayer gave unity to the church. Now look at verse 15. As they're having this prayer meeting in verses 12 through 14, verse 15 says, In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the names was about 120. And said, Men and brethren, this scripture has to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide 
to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now, verse 18, this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. That's a very cushy verse, isn't it? What is it talking about? It's talking about it was prophesied that Judas the betrayer would go out in grief and guilt and hang himself. And evidently when he hanged himself, uh, ultimately he busted the tree limb that he hung himself in. And that was the end result. Pretty neat, huh? Then it says here in verse number 19, And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms. Watch this. Let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it. And look at this. Let another take his office. So what's happening here? What's happening here in the first prayer meeting is that there was an issue that needed to be taken care of. God told them in the word that Judas was going to betray Christ and that Judas would also kill himself. And that Judas then ultimately would leave a vacancy in the apostleship. So now Peter is stepping up, quoting scripture to them. And he's saying to them, we basically need to replace Judas. Verse 21. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to this day, when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So in other words, who can replace Judas? Well, the only one that can replace Judas of all these 120 people that are here is somebody that had to be an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. By the way, study the Bible And an apostle had to be somebody who was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. You see that here in Acts chapter number 1. You see it also in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. So if somebody calls themselves an apostle today, I hate to break the news to them, they're actually not. The only way to be an actual apostle is that you visibly and physically saw Jesus after he resurrected. So what's going on? In order to appropriately uh, uh, replace Judas, we had to select one of these men uh, of all these 120 to replace Judas. It had to be somebody who, again, was an apostle. And so they, they, they put these two men in front of the group, and watch this, and they proposed two Joseph called Basarbus, whose surname was Justice, and Matthias, and they, watch it, prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two uh, you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship. Let me stop there. Isn't this great? You find a church that's coming together. They have a need. They have a vacancy. They need direction. They need an answer. They need a solution. They need direction. Anybody ever been there? Has anybody ever been there? Or are these people the only people that have ever needed to make a decision and did not know what to do when they made the decision? So what did they do? They prayed and said, God, show us. Now watch. The way God answers them is he had them cast a lot. Now what is it to cast a lot? Casting lots was an Old Testament method of determining God's will. It was a custom of deciding doubtful questions by lot Think of dice here, similarly, where they would take often two pieces of wood, in this case, likely two little cubes or blocks of wood, and they would put the name of one or the other into a long-necked container. They would shake it up and start to roll it, and whichever one popped out of the jar first was considered to be the one that God had put his approval on. Uh, For instance, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33 says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. 
So these people believed this. They believed this was a way that God could physically manifest and demonstrate his approval or answer on a thing. And so what were these people doing? Again, what were they doing? They were asking for God's direction and approval to be manifest among the group, in this case, by the casting of the lot. Now, this is an interesting point. John MacArthur said this. This is the last mention of casting lots in the Bible. It appears that the coming of the Holy Spirit made it no longer necessary. What does that mean? That means there's something far greater that lives within us that gives us unity and direction, and that's the Holy Spirit that dwells in all of us. I am from West Virginia. Now let me tell you, there's something very distinctive about West Virginians. Everybody that is from West Virginia loves West Virginia. Everybody. It's unquestionable. And we all love the West Virginia Mountaineers, all of us. And if you are or happen to know anything about West Virginia, there's a very distinctive uh, logo. It's the Flying WV. It's usually with a blue background and bright gold W and V. It's very distinctive. Everybody knows it. Everybody can see it. I mean, I could be walking through an airport with a West Virginia hat, and I'm just telling you, I will see somebody that I don't know, and they will, like, call out from across the airport, hey, man, are you from West Virginia? Of course, I've rarely met anybody who wears West Virginia stuff that's not from West Virginia. In fact, I was uh, with Angie out at the town center a couple, uh, this is a couple weeks ago, right before Christmas, I think we were Christmas shopping, we're down at the town center, and I can't remember where, we were in a little store, and these guys were around, remember this? A few guys were around shopping, and the guy had a big West Virginia parka on, I was like, oh man, oh, he's a West Virginia guy. So I walked up to him, I said, hey man, you're from West Virginia? He goes, no, I'm a, what do you say, what's the word, uh, like they're fake, they're a, uh, some teenager help me, what's the word? What? Pose, that's exactly what he said. Thank you guys. Yeah, he's like, no, I'm just a poser. And I'm sitting there thinking, look, if you're going to be a poser, okay, if you're going to be a poser, like, cheer for the Chiefs or something like that. Not, not the Mountaineers that can hardly win a football game or a basketball game, but we kind of laughed about that. But I'm telling you, if you see somebody from West Virginia, there's something about you and something about me that automatically connect. Now, what does prayer do for us together? The Holy Spirit in you, the Jesus in you, identifies with the Holy Spirit in me and the Jesus in me. And this is why you can meet somebody from another country that speaks another language that knows Jesus. And there's something instantaneous about your connection. Are y'all with me here? I'm talking about somebody you've never met, somebody you don't know. And there can be instantaneous fellowship because there's something bigger that unites us. And it's the Holy Spirit of God. When the Holy Spirit of God finally came and the casting of lots was done away with, what is the new method for direction? What is the new method for certainty? What is the new method for answers? What is the new method it is this praying together in the holy spirit it gives unity to the church i remember i I remember this uh, 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 brother bill you would remember this you were there brother bill is one of the few members here that 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 were here when i first came to the church back in 2016 very early on in the church we had a young member he was 24 years old guy named josh and Josh was 24, he was a, he was a leader at a Chick-fil-A down on Southside Boulevard, he was getting ready to be a Chick-fil-A owner-operator, great guy, solid young man, but he had uh, congestive heart failure at 24. I didn't know this when I first met him, but when I met him, 
his heart was only functioning at 40% and began to decline severely. And, and in fact, uh, I remember me and Aaron, Pastor Aaron, went over and visited him in the hospital one time. And, I mean, I called the deacons, leaving the hospital. I said, I'm telling you, Josh is definitely going to die. I mean, he is like an all sorts of color and just, just didn't look good. And, and fortunately, Josh, Josh pulled through that. But then he got on the Mayo Clinic heart transplant list. And, and they began to expedite him because his health was getting worse. And I remember the night that Josh called me and said, Pastor, they got a heart. It was 10 o'clock at night. I was living down in Mandarin at the time, and I remember jumping in my, my vehicle and going over to May, Mayo Clinic and going into that room, and I mean, they were sedating him and getting him ready. That heart was on its way. They were going to start surgery at 4 o'clock in the morning that morning. I prayed with Josh, prayed with the doctors, called some men. You were there, Bill. 4 o'clock in the morning, we opened the church doors in the office up, and some of us men got together and started praying. Our church was so small. Our church was fractured and splintered. Our church was falling apart. Nobody wanted to come to it. We didn't like the location. Half the people didn't like each other. Nobody liked me. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something that happened in the early months of that church is that all the, come on. All of a sudden, something bigger was in focus. All of a sudden, something mattered more than our... Come on. All of a sudden, something mattered more than where we are and how bad it's going. We had something to pray about. We had something to pray about together. And I'm telling you, it brought that place together. That's what prayer does. Prayer brings people together. Why should we pray together? Because it brings us together. A house divided against itself cannot stand. We are a family. This is God's house. And if there's one place you ought to be able to come and pray together, it's with your brothers and sisters in Christ. The strongest and largest horses in the world are Belgian draft horses. Competitions are held to see which horse can pull the most, and one Belgian horse can pull about 8,000 pounds. The unique thing is that if you put two Belgian horses together, their combined pull is 24,000 pounds. They can pull an additional 8,000 pounds together. One horse pulls 8,000 pounds, one horse pulls 8,000 pounds, that's 16,000. But when you put them together, they can add 8,000 pounds to their capacity and pull. What's that called? It's called synergy. It's called two people together can accomplish more than the two individuals on their own. Church, we're going to pray together because we need the unity of the Holy Spirit. In a world that is crazy divided about everything, everything. Gender identity, political identity, sexual orientation, every kind of political ideology and crazy thing that is literally splintering our country, our churches, wrecking families, dividing everything. There's one place, friend, where there ought to be unity, there ought to be togetherness, there ought to be family, there ought to be love, there ought to be joy, there ought to be peace in the Holy Ghost, and that's in the church of Jesus Christ. Prayer brings unity. To the church. Finally, prayer brings power to the church. I want you to notice the setting here. I want you to just, just go back to chapter 1. And, and we've seen that they, they came together to pray about this decision they needed to make and it brought them together. But I want you to, I want you to back up. I read what happened after uh, Jesus ascended, but let me show you what happened just before Jesus ascended. Look at verse number 8. In Jesus' Last words to his apostles before he ascended, verse 8. 
Watch this. But ye shall, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, take your Bible one more time and turn back a couple pages to Luke's Gospel, chapter number 24. Luke's Gospel in chapter number 24. By the way, Luke wrote Luke and Acts. So it's an interesting perspective. He tells them in the Great Commission... uh, uh, The same thing twice, basically. Now watch this. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he he says, you're going to go be my witnesses. But he says, you're going to receive power. Now look at at, at chapter uh, 24 of Luke and look at verse number 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now guys, there is no way to explain what happened in the first century church outside of the fact that God's power invaded Jerusalem. Does anybody want to debate that this morning? A completely hostile religious culture gets invaded by God and gets literally upended and uprooted. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people are swept into the family of God and the greatest missions movement began that is still going. Did you know that? It is going. It is active. There are more people being saved today than have ever been saved in the history of the church. And for all of you that are negative, you say, well, where are the 4,000 people getting saved every Sunday? Are you kidding me? They're in the churches around the globe. You don't think there are 4,000 people that are going to get saved today? Oh, I guarantee there are going to be 4,000 people that are going to get saved today. There might be 400,000 people saved today in China and in Mongolia and in, in Western Africa and in England and in small churches scattered across Appalachia and the Rocky Mountains. Oh, yeah, there will be people coming to Christ by the thousands today in a movement that began in that upper room with 120 people has become the greatest, most earth-shattering movement in the history of mankind. It's called Christianity. Now let me ask you this question. Is the Great Commission important? That's not a trick question. Yes. In fact, I would say to you, it's the most important thing we have going. But watch this. Watch this. Hold on, I'm getting somewhere. Just just hang on. God says... Wait to go. What could be more important than the Great Commission? I'm not aware of anything. And yet God says, wait to go. Wait to go. Tarry until. Wait to go. Wait for what? Wait until you are clothed, endued, yoked around, covered up. Wrapped in, putting on, endued with power from on high. Don't go until you know that God is going with you. 
Don't go until God has filled you. Do not go until you have this power, until the Holy Spirit rushes in and fills this place of my spirit. Do not go until you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. There is no reason this morning to labor, preach, give, gather, unless God is in the middle of it. The songwriter said, brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the word? Listen very carefully. All is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. Folks, the most important thing that could happen in our lives is that the Holy Spirit of God fills us and anoints us for the tasks to which he has called us. And in this case... It was this church was filled with his power for the propagation of the gospel. When I was in college work, well, I still am, but when I was in resident college work teaching in California, I was uh, heavily involved with the student body, uh, just made a lot of uh, relationships, and so I was really close to the kids. And one night, I was just got home from a basketball game, and the vice president of the college called me and said, Brian, you, you have got to get to the uh, Palmdale Regional Hospital right now. There's been an accident. One of, our, one of our college students was hit riding an electric scooter back from work at home, from Home Depot to the campus. He was hit. The guy ran a stop sign going 45 miles an hour, hit him broadside. He flew over 100 feet, landed on his head. They rushed him to the emergency room. All the life-saving measures they could do, they had to uh, uh, sedate him, uh, induce coma. His brain swelling was severe. They literally had to drill into his cranium to relieve pressure from his brain. And they, they're telling me all this, and they're just saying, Brian, this is severe. This is, you need to go there. Go, go, go over there, visit with whoever, pray, pray with him, pray for him. So I'm... I'm I'm, I'm driving now. I've, I've, I've left my house. I'm driving. It's about five miles over to the west side of town. And I'm driving, and all of a sudden, he calls me back. He says, actually, actually, we got, we got the hospital covered. We need you to come back to campus. I said, okay. He said, yeah, just students have started gathering here, praying for Josh. And so I, I turned my vehicle around. I started driving back east, and about five, six more miles to get to campus pulled up on campus. It's now about 10.30, 10.45 at night. I pulled up into our educational building. Lights were still on. I could tell that people were kind of moving around. This was, this was later at night. For those of you who went to Christian colleges, this is like curfew, past curfew, okay? And so we're, we're, I walk in there and I go to this room, probably seated about 200 people, smaller than this room, but, but a similar room with an auditorium, with a, like kind of a platform, it was a room designed to, for preacher, uh, practicing preaching. And I, I go in there, and man, I, just, I walk into this room, and it is just filled with 18 to 20-year-olds. They're just crying, they're sobbing, they're hugging and crying and praying. And I just kind of walked in, and I didn't really know what to do. So I just said, I'm just going to start a prayer meeting. And the only thing that I knew how to do was just get up, read a verse, and then pray, and then after a few minutes, get up, read a verse, pray, and, and, and specifically focus on things. So, so I got up, I said, guys, Josh is desperate, his parents are driving. They've called his parents in, they're going to try to keep him alive long enough for the parents to drive from Colorado there. When Dr. Mark Rasmussen got to the hospital, they said, the best thing that you can do is pray, because this kid needs a miracle. 
So that's what we did. So I got up and, man, I, I, just, I, I just gathered whatever scripture I could think of. The first one I could think of was enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So I, I stood up, I read the verse, I said, guys, here's what we need to do. We just need to thank God. We need to praise God. We need to invite, if we want God here, we need to invite him here. The way to invite God here is to lift up our voices and praise him. Thank him for who he is. Thank him for what he's done. And that's what we did. We stopped, we prayed for a few minutes. And then while we're praying, I'm, I'm gathering the next thing. And so I, I, I got up, I read Psalm 68, 15, I think it is. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So I got up, I said, okay, guys, we praise God. We've invited him here. We're living by faith. Now, if you want God to hear your prayer, you better make sure there's nothing between you and God. You can stop God from hearing you by harboring sin in your life. I said, that's what the verse says. I said, I think before we go and start asking God for his help, we probably should start confessing sin. I'm going to tell you right now, I was hearing stuff that night that I probably shouldn't have been hearing, and I never said a word to anybody, okay? They're confessing thin. God, I don't want anything to be wrong with me. I want Josh to be able to be healed. And they're praying and asking God to forgive him for all this stuff. It was, it was extraordinary. And then I came back, Jeremiah 33, 3, calling to me and I'll answer. This is what we're praying for. We're praying that God would answer a big prayer, something that's way out of the doctors are saying that Josh is done, but God's not done with Josh. And you know, tried to, try to rally the troops. So we started praying. And man, this went on and on and on. It ended up for about 1045, it was about 215 in the morning that I got another call and they wanted us to continue or finish the prayer meetings individually in our, in our rooms, and the, the kids in their rooms. So it was about 2.30 in the morning, I'm coming back home. And Josh, Josh made it through the night. He survived, his parents got there. By the time his parents got there, he was starting to respond. People were still praying. He made it through the next day, the next day. It was seven days to the day of his accident that Josh walked through the back doors of that chapel on his own feet, with all of his faculties together, walked in amidst the roar of applause of his classmates and his teachers, witnessing what can happen when God's people pray together. You say, I don't believe in that stuff. Will you help yourself, friend? I believe in that stuff. I believe there's a God. I believe it's real. I believe that we have needs. I believe the answer is prayer. I believe there's power in the Holy Spirit. I believe he can change lives. I believe he can change this city. I believe he can change this community. And I believe all he wants us to do is believe him enough to pray about it. Let's bow for prayer if we could. I at least will call us at the end of the services. I don't know how I'm going to do this every time. But certainly in a, certainly in a, a message like this, the appropriate application would be for us to come pray together. And again, I, 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 I'm not forcing something on you, but like I said, you can at least pray for yourself. Pray for me. We are powerful and unified when we pray together. It's unquestionable. And we live in such a privatized world where everybody wants to keep to themselves and everybody's got rings on their front door and nobody wants to talk to anybody about anything. Everybody wants to keep to themselves. The church is not the place that you keep to yourself. The church is the place where you come and you gather in community. We build each other up in the most holy faith. We learn the word. We hear the word. Pray together. It's what we do. 
That's what we do. I just want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you to come to prayer today. You can pray by yourself. You can pray with someone else. Hey, if you have a need, just come. We'll pray with you. Somebody will pray with you. You don't have to worry about it. Nobody's going to be in your business and talk about you. They're going to pray for you. So let's stand if we could. We're going to just go ahead and come. The Lord has ministered in your heart. Just come on. Just come pray. See somebody coming to pray. Just come pray with them. If you don't have anything to yourself, pray about it. You can pray with somebody. Come on. Let's come. Let's pray. Find somebody. Pray with somebody. By all means, come and pray. If you see somebody walking past you, that's the Holy Spirit's opportunity given you to come and pray with somebody. Come on. And if you're here at the altar and you want somebody to pray with you, just lift your hand up. We, we will have somebody come and pray with you. Nothing to be ashamed about, nothing to be embarrassed about. Just come on. Let's pray. What is it you're praying about? What do you want to pray about? What do you need to pray about? 